You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday. 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash Alpha Collective, and Startup Club's house in Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings attached. There is no bait and switch. Lurk or listen only. Chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage. The coffee shop is open for business. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wellness Wednesday, we discuss mental health, wellness, and life skills. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions with the author. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash Collective Cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand. Or, of course, join us every day live. It is addictive. And remember, it is a safe, welcoming space, and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is Alpha Collective's Collective Cafe. My name is Joseph Jaffe. My name is Joseph Jaffe, and uh, your names are Rhonda, Sarath, Sharon, Chance, A, A, Jake, Equity, I love that name, uh, Daniel, Jonathan, Jessica, welcome, 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 as people shuffle in, um, Sabath says, hi sir, please don't call me sir, I haven't earned the right for you to call me sir yet. But welcome. It is um, it is Wellness Wednesday in the Collective Cafe. The Collective Cafe happens Monday through Friday, eight to nine a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On Monday, we have Manifestation Monday. On Tuesday, we have something called Thought Leadership Tuesday. 
On Wednesday is Wellness Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. On Thursday, we do live book reads, often with the authors. And then on Friday, we have No Agenda Friday, where uh, it's kind of open mic. But I'm going to start to also dedicate Fridays to like a recap of my show. I have a talk show called Joseph Jaffe is Not Famous. I started it when COVID hit. It's going to be very relevant for today's conversation. And um, so I've had some amazing guests. I've had Tom Peters and uh, Dory Clark, Robin D'Angelo, Carol Baskin, uh, Dan Pink, Seth Godin, Patrick Fabian, who played Howard Hamlin on Better Call Saul. I've had Survivor winners. I've had Paralympians. Um, It's just been an absolute joy to get to know so many people and hear their stories. Today, we're going to talk about one of them. Today, we're going to talk about Derek Watts, who passed away yesterday, I think at the age of maybe 74, I want to say. Um, Derek was, you know, basically South Africa's version of Andy Rooney or Morley Safer or Leslie Stahl or uh, Mike Wallace. He um, co-anchored and eventually produced and ran a, a show which is still on today called Carte Blanche, um, which which was on a Sunday night and investigative reporting and... Um, and he was a legend, a real, real legend, a gentle giant. Um, he passed away yesterday, and um, and and I knew Derek. And um, so what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to just play a couple of things from a context-setting standpoint. This is just a, an audio clip from when I introduce him. And um, so I'm going to play that first. Derek Watts, uh, who is, you know, as I described him, and as I will describe him again, he is the very much alive Andy Rooney uh, of uh, South African journalism, uh, specifically television, magazine journalism, uh, what uh, what 60 Minutes is to the United States. Uh, Derek Watts is, uh, and carte blanche is uh, to South Africa. Now, uh, a few things, you know, I, I met Derek, uh, let me make this slightly bigger. I met Derek when we both actually keynoted, we both spoke uh, at an event, uh, at an Adele Sul uh, event in in uh, South Africa, and uh, little props to my mom who's uh, pictured in that as well. She is watching. Now, I mean, a little bit of context, which makes it <clears throat> really bittersweet. First of all, there's a photo in that video clip. I'm going to actually share that that clip uh, on my socials uh, later. Um, in fact, I might even yeah, I, um, uh, my mom. There's a photo of myself and my mom and Derek. Uh, my mom has since passed away. So is Derek. They both passed away from lung cancer. Um, he was so loved my mom. He was so um, empathetic towards her. Um, this man just oozed empathy. Um, always asked how she was. Was very upset that um, that she had cancer. Never told me that he had cancer. Kept it all to himself. Um, and you know, in this particular episode of the show. She's actually watching, and so I actually put up a comment. I said, oh, my mom's here, and she's watching. So it was just like going back and brings back memories and, you know, kind of sad memories, I suppose, happy and sad. Um, He was on my show in June of 2020. So, man, this was right in the middle of COVID, or at the beginning, I should say, right at the height, maybe I should say, um, of COVID. And so I put together an article um, which is the link that you see above um, to my Substack. Um, I also put a version of it on LinkedIn and on all my socials. 
And there's also a link to it through my link tree, um, which is a linktree.com or linktr.ee forward slash Jaffe Juice. Um, I'm going to play another clip, which we're going to discuss two things today. <clears throat> and the first is I'm going to actually read, um, uh, I mean, there are a couple of things that just jumped out at me. Um, but um, uh, it, it, this is a section that says Embracing the Unknown with Courage. And it reads as follows. Derek's journey into journalism started by chance, but as fate would have it, it was a meeting that changed the course of his life forever. Sitting down to breakfast at a hotel in East London, his boss asked him a simple question. Do you enjoy this job? With honesty, Derek replied that while he didn't wake up every morning excited about selling plastic bottles, he had a greater passion stirring with him. That conversation marked the beginning of a remarkable career that would see him become a cadet reporter, then a sports reporter, and eventually the beloved host of South Africa's iconic news program, Carte Blanche. So that's the question. And I actually, funnily enough, like I mis- misreported it um, even in, in, in talking about today's, um, today's room. Um, I rephrased the question as, are, are you happy? And I thought to myself, and they're kind of the same thing. And I'm going to ask you that question right now. And you don't have to respond, and you can respond if you choose to. Um, but I'm going to ask you um, two questions. One, professionally, um, do you enjoy this job? Do you enjoy your job? Just as simple as that. And the second question is, are you happy? And the second question is a bigger question. Because the second question can be, are you happy in general? Uh, are you happy in your life? Are you happy personally? Are you happy professionally? Are you happy in your job? And I think those questions, are you happy and or do you enjoy this job? Um, I think they open up, I think they're so simple, the questions, but they're quite hard to answer, aren't they? Um, it just doesn't seem, can you imagine your boss sitting down with you saying, do you enjoy this job? Uh, John Morales Marquez says yes and no. Well, you're going to have to be more specific than that. Maybe I'll bring you up if you feel like sharing. Um, and yes and no is fine too, by the way. But do you enjoy this job? First of all, every, every boss should be able to ask that question of their employee, of the people that report to them. I would argue, I would argue that it's a much more vulnerable question to ask than to answer. Think about that for a second. Do you enjoy this job? First of all, one of the things I've often said is never ask a question um, where you can't handle the answer, or where you can't deal with the answer, right? So don't ask someone, do you enjoy this job? And then you're not prepared to deal with their response, which is, no, I don't enjoy this job. Well, you know, you've now opened Pandora's box. You've now opened the can of worms. You've now opened a dialogue or a conversation, and you better deal with that conversation as well. So I would say it's much more vulnerable to ask the question than to answer it. But answering it is hard. Even in that moment, let's just talk about the context of, we'll get back to Derek in a moment, the context of a boss and a you know, superior and a subordinate. Do you tell the truth? Do you say, actually, no? Actually, I'm miserable? Uh, do you go with a, it's all right. Do you go with a neutral, nonchalant, kind of a Switzerland type of approach? It's a really tough question. 
It's a tough question to ask. It's a tough question to answer. Because just like the person asking the question has to deal with the answer, the person answering the question has to also be able to deal with the answer and stand behind it. In a perfect world, the boss would say, well, why don't you tell me more? What can I do to make a difference? What can I do to help you? What can I do to make you happy? And dot, 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 there's always the undercurrent. There's always the possibility that, you know, to quote Derek, he had a greater passion stirring within him. By the way, if you are a boss, if you do ask that question, if that person is unhappy, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to have someone who was happy in their job? I mean, all things being equal, someone who's not happy in their job is not going to, you know, is not going to give you everything that they've got, which is not to say that they're not going to be professional. Of course they are, right? They'll do their job. They might even do their job well. But if it's not their passion, if it's not their purpose, if it's not their calling, if it's not their why, then there's something missing. And that something missing is always going to be the difference between good and great. Do you enjoy this job? Do you enjoy your life? Are you happy in your job? Are you happy in life? Um, Are you happy in general? That begins a whole process of introspection and and discovery and and awareness, self-awareness and awakening um, and a journey that hopefully leads to happiness because we all want to be happy. We all want to make other people happy. We all want to see other people happy. For the most part, I think those uh, three points are extremely, extremely true. Um, I want to go back and now read uh, that comment. John said, to elaborate, happiness is fleeting for me. I haven't been happy since I took vacation. I haven't been... So you were happy on vacation. You were happy on vacation, right? Um, we can we can surmise why, John, because you were with your family. You were with your friends. Um, you were able to to detox, to um, to disconnect. You were able to step away from the pressures, the frustrations um, of the real world, so called. Uh, but what if vacation wasn't a fantasy world? What if vacation was the real world? What if your real real world involves vacation and involves those moments? What if you could replicate those moments without taking vacation? What if? Vacation is a great way. Look, I haven't taken a vacation in I don't know how long. I'm desperate for vacation. I'm desperate for vacation because, you know, I'm desperate and I'm answering my own question. I'm answering your question right now is I'm desperate to be able to connect with my family in a way that I haven't been able to connect with my family because I'm always working, because of the day-to-day, because of the monotony and the routine, which is not to say I don't love the routine, but sometimes you've got to break the cycle. Sometimes you've got to break, you've got to break the cycle. Sometimes you've got to create something, you know, and, and many people do it, many couples do it. The concept of date night, don't knock it till you've tried it. I need to, right? The concept of being able to dedicate a day, a moment, <clears throat> a time, an event 
to being able to replicate or emulate that vacation. But, you know, I'm just speculating, obviously, John. <clears throat> You're talking about, you know, being happy on vacation. You said vacation allowed me to decompress coming back to the 95 because I became catch-up for the time I stepped away from work. <clears throat> and it shouldn't have to be that either, right? You shouldn't have to come back to a shit show and fires and, you know, etc. One of the things that um, <clears throat> that I said... Um, I recorded a video. I'll probably share that video at some point. Um, but we had a, vid a videographer come in. Is that word even a real world a word anymore? And record me for about 45 minutes to put together like a little two-minute clip for um, for EOS, for my business coaching um, practice now. And one of the things I said, you know, like <clears throat> sometimes I don't even, I mean, I don't necessarily know what I'm going to say. Um, I always joke on stage that I don't know what's about to come out of my mouth. But I basically said EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, is is a time machine. It it's it it's a time traveler because it allows you to get back the one thing that has been taken from you, stolen from you, and that's time. Time to spend with the people you love, time to do the things that you love. And time for yourself. It's not just time for others, it's time for yourself. Um, it really resonated with me, this idea of being a time traveler. And I think one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur, a solo entrepreneur, so many of us in this room right now are entrepreneurs and solo entrepreneurs, is that we know that if we get sick, nothing happens. We don't earn money. We don't put food on the table. And oftentimes in a small business or oftentimes in a growing business, we find ourselves doing everything, everything. And, and of course, we can keep unpacking and unpacking. Well, why do you do everything? Because maybe you're a control freak. Maybe you can't let go. Maybe um, you don't trust the people around you. Maybe you just need to hire, which is not the worst thing in the world. Maybe you just don't even have time to think about how to get more time, about hiring, about what to hire, who to hire, when to hire, delegation, elevation. There are so many um, tools and techniques and skills that we have. Let me flip that for a moment, <clears throat> which is to ask the question now from the employee to the boss. Do you enjoy this job? Are you happy? When last did an employee, a subordinate, ask their superior that question? Do you enjoy this job? Are you happy? And the dot, dot, dot there is, what can I do to help you? What can I do to make you happy? I've never thought about that until just now, about flipping the script, about being able to ask that question. Quite frankly, who cares whether it's coming from a boss to a, to a, a, a report or a report to a boss, um, it could be lateral, it could be skipping a few. It's a question we should be asking everyone all the time. Do you enjoy your job? Do you enjoy this job? Are you happy? Because it opens up a beautiful dialogue. I, I'm going to a networking event today. I might ask that question. I might actually just do that. 
<clears throat> and say, do you mind um, if I ask you a personal question? Do you enjoy your job? What do you enjoy about it? What don't you enjoy about it? And it obviously opens up a dialogue where I can say, can I help? I think I can help. I might be able to help. Or, of course, I don't think I can help. Some things are just not possible. So that was the first thing that I wanted to um, mention regarding this, uh, this interview. <clears throat> I just want to um, uh, just read. Uh, John said, we've implemented the EOS model using the comprehensive book by Gino Wickman, but work with external vendors have not been as transparent. Maybe experiencing being a control, a control freak, but I do enjoy the why in my job. Ironically now, I mean, it, and by the way, it's been so funny, like the people that actually are running on EOS, like um, in a way it's a kind of like, it, it's good and bad. It's frustrating sometimes for me too, because I'm like, you know, I meet people and I'm like, well, you, you're running on EOS. Well, I guess you don't need me. Whereas of course, everyone else is like, yeah, we're not running on EOS and that's a different dialogue. Um, but John, I assume you've been self-implementing um, and, you know, that works fine as well. And of course, if you ever if you ever need an implementer, uh, slide into my DMs. No, never slide into my DMs. You might hurt yourself. Um, but yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to have that conversation one day. So I want to switch to something else. Um, and <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to play you another clip um, from the Derek Watts interview. Um, what I always do in in my shows is. I find a um, I find a clip, I find um, a quote, I should say, and and then I I kind of like the quote to me is always something connected to my guest, and in this particular case, the quote was, "I can't imagine a person becoming a success who doesn't give this game of life everything he's got." So let me pay you, play you the clip, and I basically ask him, "Who do you think said this clip?" Um, but we actually start off um, as well, kind of, he talks about, um, you know, when I'd said to him that he was the Andy Rooney and Carte Blanche was the 60 minutes of uh, of South Africa. And he actually talks about that. And then he says, but I'm not answering your question, right? Which is who said this quote. So uh, have a listen to this clip. So it's not a coincidence that Carte Blanche is a bit of a copy of 60 minutes because when we started in 1988, uh, we had two cart launch items which we did locally and two 60 minutes. So Mike Wallace was part of cart launch for the first, I think, 12 years. And his whole team, all his safe and all of all, the whole team. Um, but it hasn't answered your question. Um, no. It, no. It, was, it, was, it was Walter Cronkite. I decided to go with Walter, Walter Cronkite. Cronkite. Okay. No, famous, famous, famous. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you know, he also said something about how objective journalism um, and he said objective journalism and, and, and an op-ed piece have about as much in common as the Bible and Playboy magazine. Um, maybe I should have chosen that quote. <clears throat> so that was just a little exchange with him. He was so down to earth. Um, South Africans, you know, typically are. And it was really just amazing hanging out with him. Um, but yeah, Walter Cronkite, obviously I chose the quote because it was a journalist, because it was someone in his uh, sphere or in his realm. 
but it's also connected to the first part. I can't imagine a person becoming success who doesn't give this game of life everything he's got. So what we really are talking about here, we're talking about uh, passion. We're talking about purpose. We're talking about loving what you do. We're talking about discovering your why. As John said, I do enjoy the why in my job. There must be a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You've got to want to jump out of bed in the morning. You've got to want to look forward to what you do. And you don't want to be anguishing and lying in bed at night, sweating, and, and you want to go to bed and you want to sleep like a baby and you want to wake up just raring to go. And I don't think those things are unrealistic. And again, you know, I would ask you if you're listening, and I ask these questions rhetorically because I don't, you know, if you feel like sharing, then I appreciate you and I appreciate it. And if you want to come up um, at some point, you can do that too. But how many of us lie in bed anguishing at night, stressed, um, full of full of anxiety, worried about everything we did wrong that day or everything that went wrong that day, worried about all the fires that are still burning, worried about the next day, the next week, the next month, versus put your head down on the pillow and fall right to sleep. And then on the flip side, that alarm goes and you just leap out of bed because you're excited to get at it. By the way, that doesn't mean excited. It doesn't mean that you're living in a dream world. It doesn't mean that everything's great. You might just be excited to just have another crack at it, another attempt to solve the problem, another opportunity to grow, to return to growth, to get unstuck, to become forever changed. Those have become my kind of three um, uniques in, in many respects. And you've heard me say that a lot. Helping people or helping companies, helping entrepreneurs become unstuck, return to growth, and become forever changed. What I've realized is that most of the time, we are stuck. We're stuck in the mud. We are debilitated with fear. We are uncertain. We are unsure. We are unable to move forward. And then there's another little caveat which I've discussed before, which is sometimes we're, we're actually moving, but we're not moving forward. We're just moving all over the show. We're backwards, forwards, sideways, diagonal, one step forward, two steps back. We're moving for the sake of moving. We are, it's not the flywheel, it's more like the hamster wheel. We're all over the show. We're just doing stuff. We're executing tactics in search of strategy, solutions to non-existent problems. We're wasting energy. We're wasting time. We are spinning wheels. We're chasing the next big thing. When we haven't even sorted out the now, or the next big thing is now. I always say to big brands, that when they ask me, what's the next big thing? I say, there is no next big thing, you moron. The next big thing is now. Your website sucks. Your email sucks. Your content sucks. Your search sucks. Your CRM sucks. Your video sucks. Your basic building blocks of digital 101. And you're worried about social media and you're worried about Web3 and you're worried about AI. Take care of the basics. And then come back to me. So going back to this 
this idea of, you know, taking stock, making sense of it all, being able to actually put all your ducks in a row, to be able to to get a sense as to where you are and where you can be and how to get there. This is not rocket science. This is very basic stuff. But you've got to give it everything you've got. And, you know, going back to what you were saying, John, it's almost like this idea of um, I have lots of thoughts about work-life balance. Um, first of all, there is no such thing anymore in terms of borders and boundaries and walls in this work-from-home reality. So that ship has sailed. But even when, it, when there was a clear delineation between at work and at home, I would always say, if you, the boss, right, or the company, if you expect your employees to work from 5 p.m. on a Friday to 9 a.m. on a Monday, then you have to allow them to do personal stuff between 9 a.m. on a Monday and 5 p.m. on a Friday. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. If you expect them to work when they're at home, then you have to expect them to be able to do um, to live their life and connect with their loved ones and do personal activities during office hours. But now, what about the balance? Now, here's another point, second insight. Uh, and this has come on countless guests on my show, we've discussed this, is work-life balance does not mean 50-50. What it really is is about um, a sweet spot, about an equilibrium. It's about, it's very personal. Your balance, balancing the scales, depending on what the weight is, if you think of it more like a scale, right, um, what actually balances your scale might be 80-20 or 20-80. But it's actually a sweet spot for you. It's what works for you. It's what you need to be able to deposit energy as opposed to withdraw it. It's what you need to energize as opposed to deplete. So that's another point as well. When we talk about work-life balance, what we really are just talking about is a sweet spot, which is very important. That might mean when I'm working, I give it everything I've got. And when I go home, I give it everything I've got. And when I'm on vacation, like John, I give it everything I've got, which, by the way, might just mean I do nothing, but I do nothing with 100% commitment. I lie on that deck chair and I drink my pina coladas or my daiquiris and I nap and I do it with 110% conviction. So it shouldn't have to be exhausting. In fact, what I'm not saying very clearly is to just be operating at a fever pitch all the time because that is clearly not the answer as well. I can't imagine a person becoming a success who doesn't give this game of life everything he's got. Because there's just one life, one opportunity, as far as we know. And it's so interesting that Cronkite talks about the game of life. The game of life. There's a board game called the game of life. What does it mean to just, let's analyze that for a moment. What does it mean, the game of life? Well, if life is a game, then life is fun. Games are meant to be fun. They can be somewhat competitive, 
but you typically play games with people you like. And then there's gamification, and there's the ability to not have to treat it like a, like a life sentence or a death sentence. What happens when life, a life sentence, when your life becomes a death sentence? What happens when you're just living every day and counting down to that inevitable time of death? What happens when every day is just cut and paste, rinse and repeat? As I said the other day, when you live every day like it's your only day, like it's your last day and like it's your best day, <clears throat> how can you not have fun? How can you not be having fun? How can you not approach everything you do with wonder and curiosity and awe and excitement and amazement, curiosity like a child? exploring possibilities, surprising and delighting or being surprised and delighted. That might sound like, sound like a pipe dream to so many people, but it shouldn't be. Now, when you watch Derek in this interview, and uh, the link above is to, is to the Substack, uh, my Substack, um, and I think I put a, a, a video clip in it, uh, but you can also get a link to the actual show. In fact, I will. Um, I'll go ahead and put that in now. I'm going to. Um, I'm just going to start it at about nine minutes, so that you don't have to see how 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 awful I was. Um, June of. I mean, it's so crazy. By the way, you know, I strongly recommend that everyone always goes back and watches themselves, uh, like their first presentation, their first podcast, their first anything. Um, it is very uh, masochistic, I'm not going to lie. Um, but if you approach it again with that sense of wonder, um, it's kind of hysterical just to see how far you've come and how far you've grown. Or actually, you know, funnily enough, sometimes how far you haven't come. And maybe that's the, you know, the kick in the butt that you need to be able to say, wait a second, I just went back and you know, looked at myself two years ago and I didn't like what I saw, but it sure seems a lot like I am, like, like my product right now. Maybe um, this has been a little bit of a wake-up call. So I just put that link above as well. Um, and it's June 22nd, 2020, 2020. Um, so really interesting. In fact, one of the things we even discuss is how AI fact-finding might actually help misinformation and disinformation. But it really turns out that in many respects, AI has uh, in, in many, many instances become the misinformation and the disinformation. I suppose there's one other thing. Hey, Slick in Discord. I just saw Slick is in Discord. Um, I just, uh, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collector for anyone that wants to join us in our server. Um, give Slick some company. Um, there's one more uh, little element that I thought maybe I would share uh, from the interview as I was kind of highlighting it, etc. Um, he, his, his dad, Derek's father, uh, always said to him, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, it's a sentiment that has stayed with him, a reminder that facing fear head-on often leads to the most incredible opportunities. Um, I, think, I think it's a nice way to um, kind of connect the dots in terms of what we've been talking about today. Because when you're lying in bed and you're debilitated with fear, 
and you can't get out of bed the next day. Um, and fear, which is normal and natural, has actually taken over, has, has hijacked you. Um, what's the worst thing that can happen is such a great way to think about life. I have a new l- outlook on it. Um, I always, um, I've always used that phrase myself, ironically. I've told people, I've told, you know, I remember telling my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, um, she was negotiating a raise, and uh, I said, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And she said, well, I could get fired. And I said, um, can you live with that? And she said, no, because her company was sponsoring her for a green card, which ended up giving, you know, it ended up actually, you know, being a green card that I was able to get through her. And without that green card, um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I might not have stayed in the U.S. I might not have become an entrepreneur. Um, I would have had to go get a job and get sponsored. I wouldn't have been able to work for myself. And so she decided there and then, no, I can't live with the outcome. I can't live with being fired. I can't live with losing my green card. And so while she still had the conversation, she didn't ultimatum. She didn't say, you know, it's, she didn't say either I get my raise or I walk or I'm out of here. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, it resonates with me very, very strongly. But there's another part to it as well. And something that I'm learning now going through my own coaching um, programs and coaching learnings is that everything that happens, every bad thing that happens to you is a gift. At least that's what's called the sage outlook. Everything can be turned into a gift. And so we go through life going through experiencing death and divorce and emigration and selling houses and being laid off and COVID and all these things that happen to us. Do we approach it then? Do we approach it after the fact as a gift? Have we looked to discover the gift? Has it become self-evident? Has it manifested itself? Will it manifest itself? Because just because it hasn't yet doesn't mean it won't. So what's the worst thing that can happen? And how might that be a gift? How might that actually lead to something different? Something amazing, better, far better. How do we know? How do we know until we, until we go for it, until we release that safety net, until we take a chance, until we take a risk, until we follow our dreams? In Derek's case, and I try and tell his story um, as succinctly as I can, um, I'll read you another paragraph Derek's life journey embodies the notion that every experience, regardless of its trajectory, contributes to the narrative of who we become. We discussed how Madeleine Albright's story resonates deeply with this concept, that the twists and turns, though seemingly unrelated, eventually culminate in a unique life path. This narrative is a reminder that life really follows a linear route. It meanders and evolves in ways that we might not have anticipated. The story of Madeleine Albright is an amazing story because um, everything that ever happened to her 
happened, she was able to to find something from every aspect of her life that informed who she became. Literally everything that happened. There was nothing that happened that had no purpose or no role or no place or no influence in what came afterwards. And I think that really has to be true for everyone and everything. Because there's always a lesson. There's always a learning. And sometimes it might be just as simple as, well, I'm not going to do that again. Right? Sometimes when we, we leave a good job because we think the grass is green on the other side and we find out it isn't, well, there's, there's learning in that, isn't there? Whether it's, whether it's you know, going back full circle, let's go back full circle. Let's go back to this idea of do you enjoy this job? Well, let's just, let's just brainstorm a little bit. Let's think laterally. Who's to say that another job is going to be better? It may not be. It may be worse. Perhaps if instead of walking out of the job or a relationship, running away, giving up too soon, this parallel can apply to marriage, it can apply to Web3, it can apply to the entrepreneurial uh, journey, Maybe we gave up too soon. Or maybe we didn't appreciate what we did like about this job. I'm just giving you a few different spins on it because the other part of it is it's never really black and white. It's never really just, you know, one and zero. It's never just on or off. It's never truly binary, is it? Just like the whole concept of work-life balance isn't just, um, you know, 50-50. Do you enjoy this job? Well, 50% of me does and 50% of me doesn't. It doesn't work like that. But what if we really dialed up and appreciated and realized that perhaps we've taken for granted the stuff that we do like? Maybe we've focused too much on the stuff we don't like. You know, perfectionism is an illusion. Maybe we were fooling ourselves trying to find the perfect job. It is this whole concept of perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect, realizing that nothing, quite frankly, is perfect. And sometimes being able to accept. You know, going back, like John, to this idea of the entrepreneur that struggles to let go. It doesn't have to be a control freak. It can be a trust factor or it can just be the fact that, that it's the only thing we know, we can't let go. But sometimes letting go involves recognizing that the work that comes back is not going to be perfect, or at least according to our standards. And maybe the growth that comes from that is that our standards need to adjust. Our standards are too high. Our standards are unrealistic. You know, I, I've become a much bigger fan in fact i've been a big fan of the whole done is the well, you know done is better than perfect the ability to get things done you know one of the things you've probably seen this as well john with eos is the whole kind of 2080 rule you want to do the 20 percent of tasks that gets you 80 percent of the way there if you think about it like the, the concept of process is that way. 
instead of the 600-page SOP manual that nobody reads? What are the 20% of steps that can get you 80% of the way there? Imagine saving 80% of those steps. And now you're 80% of the way there. That's got to be good enough. It's got to be enough now to be able to, you know, bring it home. If you trust, empower, if you believe, if you if you just step back, the actual concept I guess is called contrition, not contrition, contraction, contraction. Step back and allow and watch. Watch with wonder and awe. We do this with our kids. Can't hold them up forever. They're trying to stand for the first time, try to walk for the first time. Well, they're also going to fall for the first time. You can't hold on to them forever. You can't catch them forever. Sometimes you've got to step back. You've got to let go. Another concept I'm sure you've heard of many times with EOS, John, is, is let go of the vine. Sometimes you have to trust. You've got to have faith. Maybe not blind faith, but you've got to have some faith that they're going to get you home, that they're going to bring you home, that they can, they can, we got this boss, we can take it from 80% to 100%. And often we're not just talking about, you know, uh, reports, we're talking about members of a leadership team. So to me, you know, I mean, Derek, Derek was a legend. Um, you probably heard that little bit of irony. I said he's the living version of Andy Rooney. Well, he was in uh, June of 2020. He's now not um, August. Um, he was on June 22nd. He passed away August August 22nd. He's not the living version anymore, but he is a legend. And he kind of taught me a lot about life, which now I'm able to share with you today um, through this episode, through the article, um, that he just really, and you'll see in him, you'll see in his face, he really just loved what he did. Do you love this job? Do you enjoy this job? Are you happy? With a little kind of, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Hey, what, you know, if the worst that can happen is that you're happy, <laughs> then uh, that's awesome. And of course, if you just want to add one more element to it, what's the best that can happen? Why do we always assume that the uh, equal and opposite result or action or that the, the outcome is going to be a negative one? Why not be a positive one? What's the best that can happen? And if it's what's the worst that can happen and can you live with it, then what's the best that can happen? And there's no more question, can you live with it? Maybe the question is, can you live without it? How about that? There's the build. What's the worst that can happen? Can you live with it? What's the best that can happen? And Can you live without it? Which one motivates you more? Which one feels better? Which one gives you more motivation and more energy? Which one is worth pursuing more? Which is going to get you out of bed in the morning, spring out of bed, jump out of bed, 
just some thoughts as we remember Derek Watts. I got to tell you, um, by the way, it's 8.46. If anyone would like to come up, any of our regulars, um, and share, um, I'll just read what you said. Um, John said, in the face of adversity, the responsibilities I have in the present moment is is being at fault while working with this external vendor. I know doing the work myself is to do able, but as you said, letting go of the vine. And, you know, I, I honestly haven't even thought about this yet, but you know that, again, part of the whole EOS approach is right people, right seats, um, and the whole idea of, of determining if they're, you know, they might be, they, they might be rock stars, rock stars, um, you know, hitting their quota, over-delivering, but if they're toxic, if they don't embody your core values, then they are killing your company. They're killing you and they're killing your company, rotting the company from the inside out. That might be true and that probably is true with respect to vendors. And I'm just asking the question, right? Should your vendors, your partners, exhibit the same core values that you do? Or which core values, I should say, would extend to them? But obviously, you know, using the terminology, you have an issue, John. Um, and guess what? Solve the issue. <laughs> don't prolong it and don't perpetuate it. Um, you said you just flipped my view on the subject. I may have the wrong person in the seat. I mean, it really is that simple. This has been free coaching with Joseph Jaffe. No, I mean, it. it it's funny. When I look back, when I look back at my, that's why I do the exercise again, seriously. But when I look back at, at Evolution, at my company, that I closed down after six years, um, I'm almost embarrassed now to realize that I had the wrong people in the wrong seats and the wrong people in the right seats. And, um, and, that's that's why the company never made it. You know, six years, some great years, some okay years, some poor years. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you think about it logically, unless we can clone ourselves, and even if we could clone ourselves, who's to say we're, we're far from perfect? Trust me, evolution with 12, um, the only thing worse then, then evolution with one Jaffe would have been an evolution with 10 Jaffes. And even worse than that is an evolution with 100 Jaffes. The world does not need more than one of me, trust me. What the world needed was someone to complete me, someone to push against me, someone unlike me. That's why, again, you know, um, with EOS, this whole concept of the visionary right, and the integrator, these are very different people. And when you have the visionary and the integrator seat, all of these things, what you realize is, is it doesn't work. You can spend your whole life trying to force a square peg into a round hole, but it's not going to go. It's going to cause damage. You're probably going to cut your hand by forcing it too hard or break the the, the mold or, you know, I'm, I'm going to try not to... Uh, extend that metaphor too much but yeah and by the way that concept right people right seats that's a jim collins concept what i really love about this here is that this isn't you know black box mystification this is common sense and it's 
basic kind of human energy um, optimization. And oh, by the way, it's all about people in this world where we are constantly looking to automate and streamline and synthesize and uh, institutionalize and make our lives um, cheaper and faster, we've forgotten that it is the human being that makes our life better. Something to think about. It's people. Always been about people. The only way we fail is if we got in our own way. I've said that in every company that I've started. And when I've succeeded, it's because in spite of, sorry, it's in spite of me getting in my way. And when I've failed, it's been, it's been absolutely getting in my own way. So John, go with speed, my friend. Um, uh, text me, let's chat. Um, really, really great to actually, you know, one of the core values of EOS is help first. And um, it's quite empowering when you can actually help first without expecting anything back in return, without actually needing anything back in return. I feel like these collective cafes are just that. It's an opportunity for me to help first. You know, and, and to trust again that there will be a good outcome for everyone, certainly for me and my family at some point. That's why like, I got so excited um, when, when Paul uh, Cheney uh, just decided to pledge $8 um, to my Substack. I've never been so excited uh, about making money than getting $8 a month. He might even unsubscribe next, next week. It's okay. I've never been so happy for someone to, who, who actually said, and it wasn't even about the fact that, that he was saying, I think you're worth $8. I didn't even set it. I didn't set the number. He just decided to pledge $8. And I was like, okay, $8. Can I give him $8 of content a month? Can I over deliver? Of course I can. Now what I'm going to do, for example, and I'm thinking, thinking, thinking the whole time. So every single one of my episodes I do an extended clip, which is about two and a half minutes, three minutes, and then I do a one-minute clip. So now I can send those two and a half or three-minute clips to my paid subscribers and with a commentary from myself. And um, I can you know, just send the one-minute ones out on my social media. So many possibilities. But it all came from just one act of kindness, generosity, benevolence, um, and it wasn't asked for. And so often in life, the things that count and mean the most are the things that aren't asked for and where nothing is expected in return. So I think we're almost at the end of our session today. Um, I want to I want to leave you with um, just a kind of uh, just a final thought, you know, regarding regarding Derek and uh, and regarding this whole you know conversation. Um, it's I think it's realizing that there are so many signs. There are so many. Um, 
there are so many things that happen to us. Are we paying attention? I mean, Derek's journey um, actually took, um, he was running a squash center and he had a back injury and that's what led him to become a sports presenter. Um, His whole life, when he looked back on it and when we look back on it, was almost like just a series of flukes and coincidences and moments of serendipity. Um, But yet his passion and his purpose, they were always there. And I believe that every single one of us, um, I've often said this, which is whenever companies say, you know, we've hired a, you know, one of the top agencies, we've hired Simon Sinek and his consultancy to help us discover our why. And immediately in that comment is a, is a red flag. You never discover your why. Your why was always there. Your why lives inside you. Your why is a part of you and always was. You have to rediscover your why. You forgot your why. You need to remember your why or you need to uncover your why. But it's inside you. It's not outside it's not something that you have to go and, and, and interview people and conduct focus groups and talk to people. You've got to get comfortable talking to yourself. You've got to go back and answer the question, do you enjoy this job? Are you happy? What's the worst thing that can happen and can you live with it? Or more importantly, what's the best thing that can happen and can you live without it? Can't you live without it? These are all tools, skills, uh, exercises, questions that not only we can all ask ourselves, but maybe hopefully some of you have asked yourself that question over the last 56 minutes and maybe even taken a stab at answering it. I'm happy to be a sounding board. I'm happy for you to come up to stage if ever you feel like sharing, trust me, there are people that, that probably are sitting in the audience thinking, I don't know that I can come up and share. Um, and then there are other people going, how does he do that? How does he share and how does he get that comfortable? And you know what? I mean, I don't know the answer to either. I just know that the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing it. And, uh, yeah, and you can still be savvy about it. You can still be strategic about it. Um, not everything is, is you know, public domain. Not everything deserves to be shared. However, however, when you keep everything close to your chest, when you bottle everything in, when you repress or suppress, I should say, um, I know that that's not the way to go. I know that. I know that that just is going to lead to explosion, implosion. Um, it's just not sustainable, and it's definitely not scalable. It's scalable in the worst possible way. So practice. Practice talking, practice sharing, practice opening up. Sometimes the best way to do it and start doing it is with a complete stranger. Maybe someone you're sitting in a, that you strike up a conversation with, sitting next to them on a plane, provided, you know, you're both okay with that. Um, maybe even the Collective Cafe and the Startup Club and, and, and Alpha Collective. And maybe this is, uh, you know, this, like 
I just met some people today. I met John for the first time. Um, I, Rhonda and I have known each other for a full two or three weeks since she became a, a semi-regular. Um, I love it. But watch out because strangers can become friends uh, very, very quickly, especially if they like each other. And I like all of you. So have an amazing day, everyone. Uh, I'll get this podcast up. I don't think I'll put a... Um, uh, I, I do want to try and summarize some. I think there were some some really um, interesting insights today. Um, but uh, it's just hard to... I hate losing some of these insights sometimes because they're just so rich and so beautiful and I want to keep them. Um, but uh, I'll see what I can do with this episode. Yesterday's episode, I want to get up as well at some point. Um, but please, if you can, you know, uh, go check out... Um, Go check out the interview, if if for no other reason than to cringe with me at uh, what my show looked like June 2020. Talk about time travel. You can travel back to 2020 uh, in June and uh, and get a glimpse of what we were talking about. All right, that's it for me. See you tomorrow. Bye, everyone. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.